What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. fans how you doing it is of course your boy jonathan macri with you for another episode of the Knicks film school podcast this is an episode that has been a long time coming i have been i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna be too proud to say this i've been trying to get this person on my podcast for oh goodness it's got to be at least a year he could he could tell you when when i uh, after i introduce him but it's been a while um, I'm very happy he finally uh, had a little bit of time uh, to join me and to chat for a few minutes. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, NBA agent Mayor Zakai. Uh, Mayor, when, when did I first try to get you on here? I feel like it's been a good while. I feel like it was uh, last year, around April, maybe. That sounds, sounds about right, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, listen, it only it only took a year. Better late than never, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, first and foremost, how are you? How have you been? How you been holding up with uh, everything going on? Well, thank you for having me on. Uh, I've been well. You know how it is. You got kids at home. I got kids at home. Uh, so uh, a little bit uh, of a learning curve there, but so far so good. I got my four little ones here. I, I hear and, one of them right now. Yeah, that's my daughter. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's I fine. Mine, well, mine's in the background office, too. Uh, but it gets a little bit of ambient, you know, uh, noises is, is cool. Um, but yeah, you know, just doing work, a whole new world, but, you know, just challenges that we all have to tackle just as you do and uh, making it work. You know, thank God for technology and t- thank God for phones and thank God for supportive wives. Yeah, uh, uh, you're preaching to the choir there. Um, yeah, well, I, I you brought up two things that I actually wanted to, to touch on. So let's start with with um, family first, because my impression of what the life of an agent is um has always been that it's essentially unrelenting and that you like sleep is not a luxury that you guys are afforded just because of the nature of what you do and yet you are and you know you show photos and such on twitter occasionally you're a very proud dad of um <laughs> uh, four children right you said that's right i i i mean Kudos to that. I have one and I can't deal with the one. How you have four. Um, but like, how can you, and I know you're a present dad. I just, I know from talking to you in the past, how do you, how do you achieve that balance? You know, finding the right partner obviously is important. You and I have both been blessed uh, in that regard. Uh, but also, like you said, when you're present, make sure you're really present. And um, when I'm at home, uh, especially during the week a lot. I try to volunteer at my kids' schools uh, to show them, hey, you know, if I'm not there, uh, the quality, the quantity of hours may not be there, but there's quantity in those hours I hear you. That, I, uh, that I'm at home and with you guys. So I do make sure to be involved with that. Uh, I don't coach any sports except for basketball for my kids. 
but I'm there. I try to make it for every game. You know, most of the games are on weekends. Uh, so I try to, you know, coordinate my schedules to be there. And uh, it doesn't hurt that, you know, you and I are both somewhat involved in, in a world that either your, your kid will come to the age where he will, or, or your child will appreciate what you're doing. And then my kids now, my two older boys are nine and eight. So it's pretty cool for them, for their dad to be an agent. And, you know, in January, I took them to MSG and they've been to uh, the uh, Staples Center. They've been to the Rose Garden uh, or the, uh, sorry, the Motor Center now. Uh, so being kind of immersed in my world also now and being at that age, I think it's kind of a cool little wrinkle in, in our relationship. That's, that's awesome. I mean, my daughter's, you know, three and a half. I, I would love nothing more for her to get to the point where she appreciates all of this. Um, you know, and, and doesn't, uh, hate me for, for spending the time that I do. Um, so the other thing you brought up was kind of how, you know, thank God for video chats and whatnot. It, like, I feel like different professions have changed in different ways over the last two months that we've been dealing with all this. Has your, your life changed a whole lot? Um, I mean, I'm sure it has because you're not, you know, you're not fly. I know you used to fly around the country to different spots, clients and whatnot. But, you know, how has been uh, or how has the adjustment been for you? You know, I, I have to say I like this now because uh, I mean, last year I flew 100,000 miles on just one airline. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you count up the other couple airlines that I used occasionally. And I was at probably at 140,000 miles, which is crazy, you know, when you think about it. But, you know, this year that kind of all stopped in March for me, right before the Big 12 tournament. I was going to head out there. And that was early March and then canceled that trip, even though I was in route and, uh, you know, not much traveling for now, about a month and a half. So this is the longest that I've gone without actually being on the road. Uh, but I, I enjoy the fact that now everything is just so raw, you know, and there is a semblance of purity when you're talking to guys that you're recruiting, you know, in the college ranks that are trying to go pro and it's just you and your words and huh. them and them and their ears. Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no uh, fluff, you know, in our, in our industry, it's a lot of times there's a lot of fluff and presentations and all that. And I do have, you know, a good team behind me that allows me to do all that stuff as well. But I feel like some of the times you can mesmerize the prospect or their family with stuff like that. But then when you're talking to them off the cuff uh, in situations like now, like one of the guys that I signed recently, the first conversation I had with him and his mom uh, was while I was in the end of my job. So I had no computer in, in front of me or notes in front of me. And I was going up against uh, two other bona f- you know, pretty legitimate and bona fide agencies. And I asked them at the end, why did you choose me? And, and my agency AMB, and they said, "Well, one of the guys had a lot of clients in the NBA, but it looked like he was referring back to his notes the whole time and by a computer in a in a desk. Huh. You just answered every question the way we wanted it answered, but it didn't seem like it was premeditated, uh, and it just seemed like you were just being honest. And the other guy, even though he had notes, sometimes when he couldn't answer the question because obviously he was so reliant on notes, he would just tell the you know the mom, don't worry about it,' or you know, we'll worry about that later and almost dismissive, not because that was his intent, just because he, he didn't have the stuff written down. So he didn't know how else to operate. I, I'm wondering, as I'm hearing you talk about this, 
is is part of the challenge for you like figuring out early on what a potential client is looking for in an agent because like I could see like some clients just looking for you know just <laughs> um my God, the Jerry Maguire line is escape. Uh, show me the money. Yeah. Some okay. guys are just about that. Other guys are like, I want someone who not to get too, you know, naive, but like, I want a friend. I want, you know, a, someone who's going to care about me as a human being. You know, other guys may want someone that, you know, maybe knows the game really well, which you do. I know from conversations we've had because it maybe could help, you know, plot their career in a certain way. Like, is that, is that almost like the first thing you try to figure out or do you just have a, a set way of going about um, trying, you know, interacting with people, meeting with people? Like where, where's the balance there for you? D- definitely kind of gauging what the client is looking for. The prospective client is uh, very important. Like you said, that's one of the components. Um, but like one of the, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to divulge some of the secrets of my industry uh, in this interview that probably not a lot of agents talk about. And one of those is the age factor. A lot of people don't know that when a kid or a prospect is coming out of college, if he's under 21 years old, believe it or not, 21 is the cutoff. The contract between the agent and the player has to be also co-signed by a guardian or parent. If they're 21 or older, it does not require a signature by a parent or guardian. So that actually changes the strategy for a lot of agents where sometimes most of the time these kids are younger. So you're going to have to not only court the prospect, but also their family. But some of the times if they're 21, 22, you don't really, a lot of agents don't even go after savage relationship with the family. They just go straight to the kid, which I, I don't do. I always try to get the family involved, but that, that's crazy. If you think about it, you know, at, at 21, it is, that that's the you know that that doesn't seem right to me because you can sign a professional contract when you're 18, but you know with a team, but you can't do the contract between the agent and player until you're 21. And I feel like some agents take advantage of that. Of I, I'm I'm sure that they do. Um, you know, speaking of taking advantage, I like obviously with the NBA rules, you're not allowed once you sign with an agent. That's you know that's it. You're you're not eligible to to play in college anymore. And yet, you know, it would be naive to to think that the you know agents of the world don't start um, <laughs> trying to develop these relationships. Uh, you know, before uh, a kid is obviously eligible to, or, or not eligible, but decides to sign. Like, I, I again, that to me would seem to be a really, um, you know, tight tight rope to walk. Like, when do you? When is it too much? When is it too early? When is it too aggressive, uh, you know, for a kid that's maybe younger? Like, what? H- how do you handle that aspect of it? You know, everything is a case by case basis, but I try to take the approach that everybody is different, and just because maybe ninety nine out of the last hundred times you talk to a prospect, it was this way. Don't be upset or don't be shocked if it's different for number one hundred. Huh. You know that, that that's an important approach to take. I have the ability to approach any prospect from number one through 60, if you see a mock draft or one through a hundred, but I buy by one principle that hasn't let me down with few, with few exceptions. And that I try not to recruit any player 
that I wouldn't feel comfortable letting him into my home. Okay. And I think if by taking that approach, you're taking the approach of really uh, stressing character as an important element for a player. Almost every one of my clients, my kids refer to them as uncle, either uncle Josh or, you know, uncle, uncle um, Allende or, or, or uncle Torin, you know, um, so I, I take that approach and I know that I always relay that as well to the client. Hey, I don't know. I don't, maybe I haven't known them for too long or there's only so much digging you can do, but there's a lot you can read into by checking out someone's profile on social media, watching them play in person, meeting them, meeting their family or whatnot. That's, that's the approach that I take. It has, it hasn't failed me, you know, but maybe a couple of times, but, uh, that that's kind of the, the mo that I have when it comes to recruiting kids. Are, are there are there like certain agents out there that have a certain reputation as you know their client base? Not, I mean, obviously this is an overgeneralization, but like, oh, um, he's with that agent. Like, you know that that guy, we know that's a good guy. Like, we know that you know that agent wouldn't sign that player unless he was you know a, a like you said a high character person and whereas maybe you know other agents are more flexible i guess is it, does that happen or is it just basically like you the teams look at players for the player and they, they the agent just happens to be who, who's there oh you mean based on that from a team angle yeah exactly uh, like when they see who a guy is represented by do they do are they able to read more into the player by right. by who they're represented by you know, sometimes us agents can see that as well. Uh, you know, to each his own. That's that's my mentality. But uh, I think it plays somewhat of a role. Uh, but there's just so much more that goes into it. I mean, if you have a transcendent talent, then you're going to overlook a, a lot of things, right? <laughs> but yeah. if you're looking at a guy that you want as the 13th or 14th guy on your bench or on your team, you're going to look at so many different factors than you would as a guy that you're going to pick top three, you know, in the draft. So there might be some sort of stigmas that are attached to players based on the representation they choose. Uh, and, I, and I think that is in consideration. Uh, but I don't think it has such a profound impact uh, as, as maybe some people might think. Speaking of guys who, you know, again, everybody's different. There's transcendent talents. There's guys who are just trying to make it make a team. Um, you have a new client, uh, Kyler Kelly. I, do you mind if we talk about him for a minute? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I got a cu- couple of... Uh, Big things in the pipeline. I, I know you. You always have a lot going on, but I, he's yeah. the one that's most visible to me because I, I just I see a lot of the highlights that you know you either retweet or post. And um, I gotta say, the kid, the uh, kid looks pretty good. Yeah, I'm very proud of this uh, draft class. I've signed four players so far: uh, Leslie Warner, the second from UTRGV, uh, Kyler Kelly, Sal Nuhu from Portland State, uh, as well as Ty Murray Glover. He's actually a Division II player who uh, just kind of fell through the cracks, but is an, an elite athlete, six seven uh, athlete that can you know jump through the roof and uh, shoot threes. Um, so, but Kyler Kelly is uh, one of the first players I signed uh, in this draft class, and uh, he's a seven foot center from Oregon State. You know, uh, reminds some uh, of some players you know in the league, um, but uh, you know just a raw still untapped talent that only played two years of division one basketball. And, you know, because I, maybe the, like, okay. So you sign him, the exposure for him maybe has not 
been there so far. What is, what are the conversations? I mean, I, I don't want you to divulge too much, but like, what are the conversations like between you and him? Because I, I, I would think that you're not, you know, promising him, oh, like, you're going to go in the first round. Like, ha- is there like a whole plan set out of like, you know, here's how I think the next couple of years could go if we play this right. Is there like an immediate goal? If like, okay, we don't get drafted, but we're going to look at these, you know, teams that maybe we would want to pick you up. Like, talk to me a little bit about the process. So you hit it on the nail. You don't want to promise anything because it's such an unpredictable business. But on the other hand, you want to allow uh, possibilities to manifest. And another one of the things that he conveyed to me as as why he signed with me, everybody else that he was talking to that was vying to represent him was just discussing overseas, overseas. I was the only one that said, hey, I'm not going to pigeonhole you. I think you actually have a shot to play in the NBA. It might not be a straight shot. You know, you might have to travel the path path less traveled, but we're going to get there. And I believe in you as long as you believe in yourself. And whether it's a G League deal for a couple of years and then maybe a season overseas or a season overseas, then back to the G League or maybe even a two-way contract, which is is a lot of interest for him in that realm. I I never defined not only who he was as a player, but also what path we had to take. Uh, But I told him, this is a possibility on this end of the spectrum and this is a possibility on the other end of the spectrum. And sometimes when these kids are older, they're realistic. They look at the mock drafts also. They look at the boards. They look at the other players at their position in the draft. Uh, sometimes they look at the other players on their team, you know. Uh, and as long as they're realistic and as long as I'm honest, not a lot of, a lot will go wrong. But uh, with that caveat, I also know when a player has a chance to play in the NBA or not. So I'm, I'm realistic right off the bat. Uh, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. And you should never do that in any line of work, especially my line of work, because you're just setting yourself up for failure. I, I was about to say, has there ever been a moment where, you know, if you don't tell a guy like there's a chance at the NBA, you're going to lose him as a as a as a client or uh, like, you know, imagining what you're trying to get someone as a client. And you, you know, if you say that it's not going to end well, but at the same time, you know, if you say that it's not going to be the truth. Um, has, has that ever has that moment ever like happened for you? No, believe it or not, the opposite has where I kept on telling the kid, I think you have a shot at playing in the NBA, at least on a G League level initially. And he had a mentor, this is last year, that kept telling him, you have no chance. You're just an overseas guy. Oh, wow. And I was just like, and he's like, you can't, you shouldn't promise him that. And I said, look, I believe it. And then, they, you know, eventually he went overseas and played in a country that, I, that, that he went to and then ended up finishing the season in the G league, you know? And I think, but I think if he had me on his side, I don't even think he would have had had to be relegated to go overseas, you know? And it wasn't anything really, I don't even think the agent that signed him believed that he had that ability. Sometimes it has more to do with the player uh, than the agent. But as to what you were saying, you know, it's tempting to do so because you sometimes want to let people hear what you think they want to hear but you're just shooting yourself in the foot. So I refrain from doing stuff like that. So yeah, I, I love, I love the sound of children in the background because it makes me feel less bad about what happens in my house when there's screaming going on. And again, I have just one. Um, you, uh, you mentioned the G league now a couple of times. There's obviously, it looks like there's going to be some, some changes in terms of, I mean, there's the, 
you know, players skipping college and going right to like whatever you want to call that, the uh, NBA prep team, or I don't know what the name they give it, but I'm more thinking more along the lines of like um, the G League is talking about unionizing and potentially, you know, that becoming a more appealing option, um, not just for the very best players coming out of high school, but maybe even guys who would, you know, otherwise might have gone to Europe. Does that change like your job at all, or, or are you or are you foreseeing a change uh, going, you know, moving forward? One big shift a couple of years ago was they changed the NBA G League salaries from I think it was sixteen and nineteen thousand for the category A and category B players to everybody across the board getting thirty five thousand. That was almost double doubling of the salaries. So that was a big shift where before it was not even realistic for a player to stay in the U.S. because of the fact that they couldn't survive on that salary to where now you're playing six months out of the year making that money. If you find another job, you're able to more than survive, right? And now with, with, with them talking about the unions and, and so-so and maybe even a, uh, a tick, an uptick in pay, you know, they, they released something last week that said now they're going to up their per diem, $15. Okay. Uh, which is you know, not significant, but it's something. I think that, that might even be like a 20% increase. And now, believe it or not, G League players up until last week had to share rooms on the road uh, as uh, uh, as well as they do when they're at home in apartments. But now for, for road trips, they can stay in their own hotel rooms. So as we see the NBA pay not only more attention to the WNBA, but also you know their farm system, the G League, I think it's just going to be a better opportunity uh, and more looked at seriously by prospects versus going overseas. Will will you or do you right now look at how well an organization incorporates its G League team in terms of, you know, I, I, look, beggars can't be choosers. I understand some clients, it's like you just want to get them on a roster. But right. is there... It, for a client that is good enough, I guess maybe is the way to put it. Will you? How much will you factor in how well they integrate the G League with their with their big club? Oh man, that's a great question. And then to be fair, I very seriously started thinking about that component of it the past uh, year. You know, you walk into the uh, Westchester Convention Center where the Knicks G League team plays, and they're very proud of a banner, believe it or not, that a lot of people don't know about that is posted behind one of the. Uh, baskets on the wall that says the name of every player that has played for their team and then eventually played in the NBA. And Westchester Knicks have, I think, a list of 12 to 16 players, you know, which is, which is pretty good, you know? Uh, And these are, these are not two way players. These are just actual guys that got opportunities with sometimes even other teams. They're not just talking about teams that played for the Knicks, but teams, the players that team, teams played for than the NBA uh, or, or other, excuse me, other teams that they played for. So they are very proud of that, you know, and I do look at that with some organizations where you really have no chance, you know I mean? How often does a championship contending team uh, call up a guy on a 10 day, you know, from their G league team, you know, they, I mean the Warriors, right. were an anomaly this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll never happen again, I think. <laughs> um, so, well, but then the flip side of that coin is, and again, this is, I guess, so now we're getting into what I'm most curious about because, you know, I'm always thinking about the Knicks, um, is in terms of putting or thinking about 
okay, I have a, a talented guy, like a, a clearly an NBA player, um, getting him in a situation that you know it's going to be a situation where he is going to be successful in and he's going to be looked at as a success. Um, and, and it fascinates me because my, again, from the outside looking in, I could see, let's just use the Knicks as an example. I could see someone looking at them and say, well, you know what? He, he'll get his numbers maybe on the Knicks. Um, but are, you know, is that going to be a winning atmosphere? You know, if you look at the last 20 years, obviously it, it, it has not been. Whereas another organization like, okay, my guy might not get his numbers, but he is going to be looked at as a winner. Like, are those, how do you even have those conversations or how, do, how does that thought process go for you? As long as you have options and you can uh, have an opportunity to have a discussion with your client because you have options, then that's when you kind of start to look at everything under a microscope and dissect different situations and scenarios. But a lot of the times with the G League, it's not it's not as uh, fluid as you think. There's not a lot of options there. You know, there's players that are vying for G League spots that are coming in from college, that are returning players, that are players that maybe were out of the NBA, like Jonathan Simmons. He was in the NBA for a long time, and he got cut. And last year, he signed with the Warriors. And his entry onto the Warriors G League team, he signed a G League contract with them, pushed out one of my guys. You know, and then you're guys that were stashed overseas for a couple of years, or they just played overseas and now they're coming back and they thought this might be the best path for them to get to the NBA. There's just so many factors with the G League that are just not not prevalent, you know, with other leagues overseas nor the NBA that it's it's a little bit tougher, you know, and and just the league itself. These are a bunch of grown men. That's why the NBA has kind of started almost an academy for these high school prospects like Isaiah Todd and Jalen Green because they're not sure that these guys can you know hold their own against guys that are you know sometimes 28 you know 29 years old I mean there's one player on the Westchester Knicks JJ Moore I'm not sure you're familiar with him yeah I I know the name what what do you what do you think of him I mean mean, he's a man I mean the guy's built he can shoot he's tough you know imagine if you put that guy up against a guy like Isaiah Todd well, you know, so what do you think of this idea that they're that they're they're basically trying to make this an alternative to the NCAA for eighteen year old kids for really talented eighteen year old kids? I think in theory it sounds great, but let's see the application. Because what are you doing? Who are they playing? You know, not a lot of details have have come out, and it almost looked like look like they're just kind of not winging it. But I don't think it was it was something that was planned very far in advance where they laid out this is what's going to happen you know you're hearing they're going to live in la and you're hearing they're going to play some games but against who i mean do you do you know who they're playing against i, I haven't heard anything more than you have i mean i'm sure right. I, yeah it's crazy you know so i mean I, I don't i don't know how an application is going to work and uh, but i think it's it's a great idea it was necessary because you had homegrown talent that was going overseas to places like Australia, you know, or China sure. in, in the past few years. And you want to, you know, as a country, you want to keep your best talent in sports, especially at home, especially when you have the best possible league for them to excel in. You know, I can understand some somebody defecting from Cuba, you know, a baseball player and want to come here or whatnot, but that's because the Cuban league is inferior to Major League Baseball. But we have the best. We have the best resources. We have the 
most money, you know, and we have people that are already organizations, 28 out of 30 organizations that have farm teams. Uh, so that there's no need for these players to be, you know, de- departing for more money overseas. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because you're, you're talking about this and as I'm hearing you, I'm, I'm like, well, if this had been in place a few years earlier, um, you know, someone like Mitchell Robinson, I could have seen, I could see have gone, having gone that route. Um, right. you know, but, but of course he, he didn't. And, uh, and now he is where he is. Um, yeah, I remember him, he went, in, went to China. Uh, sorry, I missed who you said. Um, Emmanuel. Moutier. Oh, Moutier. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of yeah. course. And he, he went, he went to China and, and, uh, he played okay. He played okay there, but maybe it would have been better for him to be, you know, stay here. I, I feel like most guys who go overseas, it has not, it has not helped them. Like I, I think I would argue that RJ Hampton, it is or not RJ, um, um, yeah, Hampton, uh, the kid, yeah. yeah, who's who's coming out now. He, it, I don't think he's helped him, um, very much. I mean, Ball, I guess you could argue, you know, six of one, half dozen the other, but I don't know. I kind of, I, I think it'll be better if they could get it right, like you said, um, you know. But let's let's see if they get it right. So yeah, I I brought up Mitch, you know, that's how I think mo- a lot of Nick fans know who you are. Um, cause you were, you were definitely kind of very, um, you were out there, you were very vocal on Twitter, you know, you supported him. Um, what was that like always a choice for you that, that you just like that, like, this is the way that I am going to be an agent for my client. I'm going to promote him in every way, shape and form that I know how, um, or like, Cause you don't see a lot of agents doing that. And I'm just, that's something I've always been curious about as to your, is that like just you, you don't think about it or is just, you know, it's a, it's a intentional thing by on your part. Right. I mean, look, I, I have a platform that not a lot of agents have. I, I you know, I've verified accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, uh, even before I started working with a player on the Knicks, I had, you know, relationships because being a journalist, you know, at one time, I'll put it to you this way. One time, 15 years ago, in the same newsroom in, in LA at the Daily News was uh, Mark Stein, Howard Beck, uh, myself, um, Arash Markazi. Uh, you know, these, these are pretty good names. And then we were on shortly after. You know, and then Gary Washburn, also at that time, who covers the Boston Celtics for the Boston Globe. You know, this this was... Uh, and Mark Spears, believe it or not. Oh, wow. This was so you now those are some of the names you know, but there's also a lot of names at that time that were you know still up and coming that maybe you're not familiar with in different markets. I some some agents have the advantage where they were former athletes themselves, right? So there's there's a foundation there for them to establish relationship with a client based on that shared background. Some some agents uh, worked in front offices. For me. You know, or, or, or some, you know, everybody has something they bring to the table that sets them and distinguishes them from others. For me, it was that I saw a different side of sports as a sports writer, but also I established relationships with media. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing. If I approach a writer or a journalist or a reporter and I, and I pitch a story about one of my clients, it's going to be perceived differently coming from me versus another agent. Because I was part of the brethren, right? Part of the fraternity of journalists. Sure. Now, I'm never going to try to sell another journalist coal. 
right? If you get that, that uh, analogy. Yes. <laughs> I want to give them something realistic and viable for them to write about. And sometimes a different angle that maybe they didn't consider because of the fact that I have information about my client that they probably don't know about. But I think that is a very, very powerful tool of my platforms and the people that I have. I mean, I'll, I'll put up a video. Sometimes I'll get a hundred thousand views, right? Who, who can do that uh, for their, for their client, you know, and, and being out there and, and you know, if, if I get a player that I get to sign to make an appearance, it's just like the NBA store or elsewhere. You're new raising their Q factor. You're, you're raising their profile off the court. It just allows them to make more money, but eventually also the teams and the fans notice too, you know, and it makes it very, very difficult because of the intrinsic pressure that comes along with fans clamoring for a guy to stay with the team. I think it makes it very difficult for a team sometimes to move on from a player like that, you know, and all you're doing is maybe not creating the narrative, but you're, you're bolstering the narrative that's been created. Well, I mean, I'll just speak for myself as a Nick fan. Um, I, I don't want to think about a day when, you know, Mitchell Robinson is not on the team. And I think, and I wonder how much of that is due to the fact that like he has become such a part of the, consciousness of Nick fans um, in large part to, you know, uh, for the longest time you scroll on Twitter and it's like, Hey, look, here's Mitch all over the place. And you made a lot of that happen. Um, so I, I think, I think there's definitely validity to what you're saying. Um, I, I wonder, you know, I'm sure agents have a lot of different ways of um, let's say voicing their opinions to, uh, teams as far as, you know, maybe they don't think their guy is getting enough touches or playing time or whatever the case may be. It, is this like, you know, is this like one avenue of doing that essentially? No, I, it's a fine line that you got to straddle, you know, uh, and I, I try to say, don't, don't say anything about somebody that you wouldn't say to their face. I kind of abide by that. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll never use it for negative, but I always try to use it for positive. Uh, if, if, if you can understand that. So, sure, yeah. And, and, and as long as you take that approach, you know, but, you know, I, I'll tell you, there's there's people probably that, that wish they would have the platform that I did and the ability to do the things that I do, you know, and maybe some people are trying to undermine what I do, you know, but, uh, you know, I think I've got a pretty powerful tool there. Um, you know, obviously I worked with Mitchell Robinson in the past and, and I wish him all the luck in the future, but I'll focus on my, on my current clients and the guys coming up in my pipeline. You know, uh, that, that was a great time for me. But as you alluded to, there was a time when you went to a Knicks game and on between, you know, during halftime or, or during, you know, breaks in the game, there's a Mitchell Robinson commercial as he is blocking out cancer, you know, and part of that kind of, kind of campaign, you know. So you're seeing him there. And then you go home and then you look online and then off season, he is with Adam Silver as principal for a day. And then you hear that he is the only New York Knick in like uh, five years that made an in-season appearance at the NBA store. And then you see him doing these free basketball camps in markets that are not even, you know, New York. It's easy to do one in, in the market you're in, but you're doing Portland, you know, you're in Atlanta, you're doing, you know, New Orleans. So you, you're providing exposure to your client that, that is kind of priceless, you know, I, I think. And, and I, I relish the opportunity to do that. I love doing that. I think I'm good at that. Um, but you know, uh, uh, it, it's you know, it's it's all part of 
the, I think in my, in my line of work, servicing your client. It's not just sitting back in every three or four years signing a contract. And so, you know, you, you obviously, you know, you're not Mitch's agent anymore, you know, and, and we've talked in the past. It's like the agent business is what it is. You know, things happen sometimes. Um, is that, I, I'm trying to think of the right way to, to ask this. How, like, you know that going in, obviously, that things happen. And is it just kind of like, well, look, even if this doesn't, even if this relationship isn't going to last for the, the length of this pl- client's career, I know what I'm doing is right by him, A, and B, I'm going to be able down the line to, you know, show what I've done to my other clients and say, look, I did right by this person. Is that kind of just how you have to approach it as opposed to just get, you know, getting, because I, I, I can't imagine getting angry at, at, at things is going to do any good. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. You know, we, we know what we signed up for when we got into this profession and the highs are really great. The lows are demoralizing sometimes, you know, and uh, all you can do, like you, exactly what you said is do good by your client. Uh, hope he appreciates what you're doing and hope for the best, you know, and hope for the opportunity to be there once you're crossing the finish line with your client and signing an extension or whatnot, you know, um, but we all know what we signed up for. Uh, sometimes there's elements, uh, that are out of your control. Sometimes you find out so many things after the fact where you're like, Whoa, you know, how, how can I do my job when you have this factor that maybe not a lot of other people deal with, you know, but you, you have to, in this industry, keep your head down. You have to keep your blinders on, do good by people and have no expectations because when you have expectations, that's really what kills you. Um, and as long as you're doing right, like you said, by your client and doing your job, eventually things will work out. And sometimes if they don't, this isn't an industry for you. You know, it's, it's very easy to separate the pretenders, uh, from the contenders. I mean, there's 500 plus MBA agents that are certified by the MBPA, you know, and I think only less than 50 of them actually have an MBA client. Wow. You know, whether it be the G League or, or the NBA, less than 50, maybe less than 75. That's like 20%, 25%. Yeah, it's not a lot. No. Um, and it, it's hard, man. Just even having a G League client is hard. There's a lot, a lot of maintenance there. And you're betting on the client and yourself long term. It's not a short term play when it's the G League route. But I believe in my clients and I tell them, if I wanted to make you money immediately and give up on your MBA dream and make myself money, I could send you overseas. But as long as you're willing to trust me and put in the work, a lot of times we'll do the long-term play and go, go the route of a two-way contract or a GV contract. A couple more and then I'm going to get you out of here. You've been incredibly generous with your time already and I appreciate it. Um, you, you, we've talked a lot about doing right by your by your client. And yet I feel like, and again, this is just my perception from the outside looking in, um, a big part of uh, a successful agent's life is developing a strong relationship with the team. Um, or not, I shouldn't say the team with teams, maybe with a team, maybe with a few teams in particular, how, uh, you know, are, are there times and I'm, I, I shouldn't ask it this way cause I'm sure there are, but maybe how often are there times where, your interests of your client and the interests of the team 
um, that you are trying to have a good relationship with, you know, those two things, but heads and like, what do you do in that situation? For the most part in our industry, we're dealing with professionals on the other end, uh, whether it be agents or front office people, but on rare occasions, that's not the case. And it's not necessarily me saying on the other side, sometimes it's on, it's on my end too. I've seen some agents where they have vendettas against teams and won't, you know, send their players there for workouts or whatnot. You know, people are human in our field as, as they are in every industry or realm. Um, in the end, we're all very lucky to be working in this industry. It's a very lucrative industry. It's a very fun industry. You know, Jonathan, you get to write about sports and watch sports and be around sports. And I get to be around sports and watch sports and, and work in sports. There's, there's not a lot of better gigs than what we're, what we're immersed in. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I think people lose sight of, of the opportunities they have in front of them and what the right thing to do is. And, and just because the other side doesn't do right by you doesn't mean that you should do right, wrong by the other side. And, and balancing that and looking out for your client's best interests as well as the team and it's kind of what they want. It's tough. You know, it's, it's, it's a tough, uh, tough industry that we work in. And sometimes challenges come across your way that you don't know how to deal with because it's just so new, you know, but you know, eventually, like I said, as long as you're doing right, uh, things, things will work themselves out and, uh, it's, it's never the end. You know, it clients leave, uh, agents all the time. And sometimes I've even seen them go back, you know, really? Uh, yeah. And, uh, it, it's also important to note that front offices aren't, aren't there forever. These are, you know, not a lot of legacy front offices in our, in our industry. So a lot, a lot of things, you know, in our industry are always just fluid, even if they don't seem fluid. Uh, and you know, that, that, that's all I can say about that, but it's, it's a tough, any, any job like this requires a balancing act of what, you want to do for your client and what the other side, the people paying your client want your client to do or how they want your client to conduct himself or, or proceed, you know, in his career or whatnot. So, and you're, and you're caught in the middle of that as the agent. (laughs) Oh yeah. Sometimes, but like I said, we, we know what we sign up for, you know, and, uh, it's, I I wouldn't trade it for anything else. You know, both you and I, you know, went to law school and, you know, part of the, part of the, the, Difficult thing to uh, embrace is, you know, be fired at any time, <laughs> you know, and that, that's, that's dictates kind of the industry that I'm in. Sure. Uh, so you, you just always, you try not to proceed with fear in our industry, but you, you always have to have that in the back of your mind and make sure you know that nothing is, is permanent. Um, that's well said. Um, all right. Uh, before I get you out of here, you know, $64,000 question. Uh, you, you had a lot of dealings with the Knicks over, you know, the last year plus. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this general because I, you know, I, I, I mean, trust me, I could ask you a hundred questions about your dealings with the Knicks, but just again, generally, how was the experience? I mean, Nick fans are always wondering about the people leading their team and, you know, is this an organization players want to play for? Is this a, you know, a good place to, to that, you know, where for instance, an agent would feel like their player can grow his career. Like how, what is, what, what would you have to say to, to Nick fans, I guess, uh, asking themselves those questions. Oh, look, one of the, some of the craziest shit that I hear is about James Dolan 
Like you, you guys, I mean, from the outside, the fans, not you guys, you know a little bit, you're around it, but yeah. fans have no idea how passionate this guy is about his team, how he will spend whatever it takes to make that team a winner, how he stays in his lane and allows the people that he hires to do their job and how he's willing to move on from his mistakes and is always willing to eradicate those mistakes and find something that's better. I mean, at one point, weren't the Knicks paying three different head coaches? I, I think that point might be now, actually. If right, I'm- right, right, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, like, I'd, I'd venture and say at least half the NBA teams wouldn't do that. They would stay with the incumbent guy until his contract runs out. So they wouldn't do that. I mean, James Dolan, he, he, he has put his life, his sweat, his tears, his money, so much money in, into that organization. And just the, uh, the narrative around him and who he is, it's just take it from somebody that was inside. Look, a little bit removed from it because I wasn't seeing James Dolan every day. Right. But man, the conversations I had with, with Mr. Dolan in summer league, where it's a little bit of a more casual environment, right. And he's with his family and friends and you're chopping it up a little bit more than just at a Knicks game in Madison Square Garden. The opportunities I had to see him, like I said, and some of the people very close to him that work right under him on the business side. Man, that, that guy just, just loves the Knicks. That, that's his heart. You know, his heart and soul is, is the New York Knicks and the effort that he puts in f- forth to make sure this organization is on is you know sailing in smooth waters and has every resource you can't imagine the resources i mean everybody always harps on some of the bad things that are rumored uh, about him but for every charles oakley story which we kind of see the true you know character of charles oakley coming out i was, I was about to say it's not looking good for for charles lately right right you you forget the fact that what he did for like tyson chandler when he had a relative die you know you don't you don't know some of the stories of what he's done for Mitchell Robinson, you know you don't understand just just some of this stuff, man. Look at look at the you know the contract that they afforded Alonzo Trier after he was a two way guy commensurate with the top fifteen pick in the NBA draft. There's no there's no teams doing stuff like that, man. You know, um, so I, I will I will speak to the ownership, which I think is going to probably be the only constant. I don't I don't think the front office or the coach is going to be there for a lifetime. But the owner is probably going to own that team for a lifetime. You know, I mean, just look, within the past six months, the president has moved on to a new role. Yep. So we could, if we had this interview six months ago, we'd be talking about somebody else. And now we're talking about another person. Yeah. But that guy, man, he, he's so passionate about what he does. Good, good dude, man. Good dude. And I, I, was, I was proud to have, you know, two clients at one time in that organization. You know, everything is first class with the Knicks. And he treats his players right. Is it fair to say that, you know, um, whether it's Skylar Kelly or some, someone else that you have now or maybe someone you'll have in the future, is it fair to say that you would have no hesitation having another client uh, play for the Knicks? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it depends on, you know, a lot of factors. Of course, uh, so with all those caveats. Right, right, right. Caveats like what, what if, you know, the, the positions are filled on that team or whatnot or what, what if, you know, the front office – that they have instituted doesn't like, let's say, a big man. You know, they, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't believe in the value of a big man like that. But all, all things considered, as long as James Dolan, uh, Mr. James Dolan, is at the helm of that organization, trust me when I tell you this. There's players that I talk to right now who I have relationships with that are on other teams 
that are you know maybe two three years into their NBA deals that are you know potential max guys on their second contract that would that would do almost anything to play for the New York Knicks. You know, don't believe the narrative that's out there. I. From your lips to God's ears, I I believe you. How about this? I believe you more than I believe the narrative. That's for sure, and it's encouraging to hear. That's for that's definitely for sure. Yeah, and and, and but talking about guys, you know, man, like this season. If you have a few minutes, I kind of want to touch up on that. What do you what do you think is going to happen? Oh, like, sure, yeah, no, I I um, what do I think is going to happen? I think the this kind of bubble idea. I think it's you know, um, it's going to be expensive. Um, and I, I, I understand the question marks surrounding like the amount of tests that it's going to take to have on hand to be able to pull this off, but it just seems like all of the, um, all of the stakeholders involved and, and look, yeah, listen, you're, you're an agent. Um, you're, you, I'm I'm agents are a stakeholder as well. It seems like everybody wants to get this season, like crown a champion. That's the term I feel I, I keep hearing. Um, I, I feel like they're going to get it done, even if it's in like August, right? Yeah. What, what do you think? I mean, I feel like I mean they're, they're really, really trying, right? And the first big domino that fell was when they postponed the draft lottery, right? Yeah, that was a big, big domino because that basically because of that. What's the next domino to fall? Uh, I mean. I'm trying to think of the next official thing on the count. Cal- I mean, finals are obviously something that they have dates for ahead of time. You know, they haven't officially postponed that, but I imagine that's coming as well. But something that the the lottery that's reliant on lotteries, the draft. Oh yeah, no, of course, yeah, yeah. That's, I, look, when I worked in the newsroom, I was very young. I was like 18 at the time in LA, and when I was with the LA Daily News and then the LA Times later, I had to do something that nobody wanted to do. It was called the agate. Right, the agate. If for some people that don't know, you know, media parlance is the box scores in the back of the newspaper, and nobody wanted to do it because you're the last person to leave the newsroom sometimes at midnight because stats are coming in all the time. But I was doing that stuff just because nobody else wanted to do it, and I know it would allow me to get bylines in the newspaper. But with the agate, what they would always tell us to do is not if there's no space, right? If, if you're on the last column on the last page. Don't run box scores the next day so that you're pushing everything back, you know? Because if you have 10 box scores from late NBA games and then you save those for the next day and in that day's, you know, press, you put those in plus that day's events. Sure, yeah. You're pushing stuff back. I think kind of the same paradigm applies to the NBA. I don't... I think at some point you got to stop pushing stuff back. There is no... If you had a season right now, you could have a lottery you know, remotely, nothing like just an NBA draft exemplified. And you can still have a draft, right? A lot of these NFL teams didn't get one-on-one workouts with their guys. I'm not sure you need to keep, at what point you decide you're not going to keep on pushing stuff back further because then you're going to be pushing back the season. But is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, I know personally, just for no reason other than I think it would, it would work better without you know there's there's not as much uh, competing attention for the sport to start the nba season on christmas and to have it regularly run through i guess in that case it would be depending on if they shorten the season or not it would be like late july early august something like that i mean i i could see there being a benefit to that i agree i mean and what's the biggest competing sport for nba in the fall well it's football yeah and then at that point 
I mean, when does football end usually? So the regular season usually ends right around New Year's. So it, I, to me, it, it makes sense. I mean, right. sure, you'll have the playoffs of, for football coincide with like the very beginning of the NBA season, but you know, it's not that bad. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I read a piece from The Athletic last week from Sam Amick and Joel, Bar- Joel Bardone, I believe. And I, you know, our guy, Mike, Mike I read D. the same piece. <laughs> right. And that was, man, that was really, really, really excellent piece. It's touching on a lot of the components that a similar ESPN piece, I think, failed to do. Uh, there was a follow-up by Baxter Holmes, who actually worked in the LA Times newsroom with me as well and, and on ESPN. He did a good job touching up on, you know, older-aged guys, you know, and how they would affect. But, you know, I tell you, some of the stuff that I'm hearing from players that are free agents to be, they're like, I don't know, with two months away from basketball, and it's not like it's the summertime. What do you do in the summertime if there's no, you know, you're not in NBA season? You can do a lot. Sure. Pick up basketball, you know, lifting, training, workouts with your coaches. But some of these players are hesitant to get back into it because they don't want their stock to fall also. Because what if they come back and God forbid they're injured because they're rushed back? You know, two, two months of basically essentially laying dormant, right? Relative to what, what you're accustomed to doing. That's that's tough, you know, and I think the longer the longer we wait, the more difficulty difficult it will be for some guys to get back to it. And, and some teams are sound like they're apathetic. What, what one team came out with a quote that says our guys are checked out already? What was that um, was I think it was Golden State with Steve Kerr, if I if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he said we're planning as if we're in the off season already. Do you, do you want that? You know, do you do you want that? kind of narrative around around the season. I'm not sure. And maybe something like that will propel them to decide, hey, we're just gonna move into the playoffs. I, I was about to say I when this first happened, my initial gut reaction was there will not be any more regular season games. And I still to me that still makes sense. And I mean, because like isn't it just like you know, we're in triage mode now, right? It's like, we yeah. we just, we got to get the champion crown. It's like, it's not, a, you know, at first I was thinking, ah, maybe they make sure everybody played the same number of games, but I, you know, I don't know at this point. And, and again, yes, you have those people out there like Steve Carr saying they're already checked out, but you also have a guy like LeBron James who I'm pretty sure wants, you know, his chance to, uh, you know, get another, another notch on the old belt there, which I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. I got to think we're going to find out soon. Like, yeah, I think so. But like you said, it looks like really, and which is what we all want. We all want basketball back sooner than possible. Yeah, you know, sooner than later. So I commend the NBA on taking a measured approach to everything, and you know, not rushing into things. But uh, and I'm hoping that we get basketball back this season. But I hope we're just not delaying so many things that we can control, and end up realizing, wow, we postponed all this stuff and. We couldn't even have a season. Well, if that's, I agree with you, and it's why I again they, you know, what 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 are we sitting here now? It's May uh, May fifth. I I have to think within the next couple of weeks we're gonna have to hear, you know, so even even if it's a tentative schedule, um, but you know, it's it's getting push comes to shove. Yeah. Um, all right, Mayor. Listen, this I, I started out by saying this was a long time coming. Uh, it did not disappoint. This was great, man. I, I really, really, really appreciate you taking the time. I know your time is valuable. Well, no, thank you. I know your time is valuable as well. Thank you for taking the time away 
from your family for this. I really appreciate what you and all the other bloggers and, and media uh, guys do in New York. For you, I know especially it's a labor of love. And uh, I know your birthday's coming up here in a few days. <laughs> Happy early birthday. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I, I wasn't uh, going to tell anybody. I don't even know how you found out. Oh, come on. Come on. Let me research. Come on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. May, May 10th, everybody. Jonathan Macklin. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're killing me here. Uh, but yeah, happy early birthday. I'm sure uh, I'll, t- I'll catch up with you on that day with at least a text message or a virtual shot or something, but uh, or a beer. But uh, yeah, th- thank you for putting out content. It's so important. Just so you know, the, the NBA is really nothing without the fans, but also without media and bloggers like you guys, like you and, and all the other guys that you work with. And, and I know the Knicks have opened up the doors for you guys a little bit more in the past year, even a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I know they appreciate what you guys do. Never discount uh, the impact that you have uh, with in the world of, of basketball, especially with regards to the Knicks and, Keep keep on you know putting the stuff out there. Keep on putting content out there. We really, I really enjoy, you know, podcasts and and reading stuff from you guys as I do with everybody. Uh, so keep on keeping on. <laughs> well, on behalf of the uh, the content producing community, uh, I appreciate that. It is it is indeed a labor of love, and and I just want to second something you said earlier, which is that um, I. I you know, I never take for granted the opportunity that I have to be able to, you know, listen, sit here and talk with you literally right now about stuff like this. This is, um, you know, it's, a, it's all a dream uh, for me in, in a lot of ways and, and other people that do this. It's, um, you know, it's it's we're, we get to we get to watch and talk about and write about and, and all that a, a sport. Right. And what's what could be cooler than that? I, I you know. Oh, yeah, brother. It's a dream for me too. trust me. You know, I wake up every day and I pinch myself and I'm just like, wow, you know, I get to do this. Yeah. Um, On that note, it's a good place to end it. Um, Thank you again for coming on. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening to another episode of the Next Film School podcast. And uh, we will be back with another episode uh, very soon, of course.